At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. So I uh, want you to picture the scene with me. I want you to picture the kids who have gone uh, to the teacher because it's time for recess. Right? You know how they always go to the teacher because they got to get like the toys they're going to play with at recess. And so somehow, someway, little Petey is the one who gets the most prized of all the possessions, which is the kickball, right? Now, at least my day, that was what you always want to play at recess. You know, I don't know what they do today, but back in the day, it was all about that red bouncy kick, the big one, you know, not the dodgeball one that you can squish a little and you knock people out with it, not that ball, the great big red one, right? The bat- so anyway, little Petey, has the kickball. And so he goes out with his friends. They're all lined up at the diamond, you know, and they're picking teams. Like, so Petey gets to be a captain and this other kid gets to be a captain. It's like, I take that one and I take that one. Well, I want him and I want her. And they go through the whole thing, right? They're dividing up teams until finally there's two kids. You ever been one of those two kids? Like, you can't say yep out loud. Who said yep out loud? You did, didn't you? You said that out loud. No, you're just supposed to think that. You just... Wow, out loud, yup. If you're watching online, maybe that's you too. Maybe you're going, yep, that's definitely me. Like I am that one who is, anyway. And so one of the two happened to be a friend of Petey. And so Petey looks at his best friend in the whole wide world and he's like, sorry, dude, she's a lot better than you are, you know? And so anyway, his friend looks at him and is like, Petey, you're dead to me. Like, I am so done with you. I'm taking my toys. I'm going somewhere else on the playground. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm so done with you. You ever been there? You ever, you ever been there where you look at your friend, you look at someone that maybe once upon a time you had this thing with, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I'm taking my toys. I'm going somewhere else. Probably Because you're older and more mature, you would never look at someone today and you would never say, like, you're dead to me. You'd probably never say that. You would probably never say, like, I wish you were dead. You know, you'd never say words like that. But sometimes that happens here, doesn't it? And sometimes what we do is we do the same thing, but we do it in a very adult fashion. We just say, you're blocked. And so you go, you want to call me? Oh, you're blocked. You can't call me now. Facebook, blocked. Instagram, blocked. Any other social media, I don't even care. Block, block, block. You're blocked from my life. I'm erasing the fact that you have ever existed in my life. You're blocked, you know, or you canceled them or however you want to say it. That's what we do. But then my question is, is that how we're supposed to do things as Christians? Is that the calling we have? What does Jesus call us to? Let's take our Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is going to show us how we're actually supposed to walk this out. We're in a sermon series called Conflicted, where we're really spending time in Matthew chapter 18 and looking at how we are supposed to handle these relational tensions that pop up so quickly because we all have hurts, habits, and hangups. Today, we're going to be in verses 15 through 20. 
Now, these are the verses that so oftentimes we go to and we say, well, this is where it's talking about church discipline. Church, now, if you're new to church, let me explain that. If you're new to church, church discipline would be those verses that talk specifically about when someone in the church, a Christian in the church, does something they ought not to do. And so then the church leadership has to say, okay, because you've done this, this then is what has to happen. There has to be discipline because of it. You know, we have to do some, there's repercussions to your actions. But can I just say that's not really what verses 15 through 20, that's not really what it's about at all. In fact, this is about how we as Christians interact with one another to bring about reconciliation and restoration. That's the whole topic of what Jesus is talking about, how brothers and sisters come together seeking out reconciliation and restoration, which brings us to our big idea. The big idea is that Christian relationships pursue repentance and reconciliation. How do you, how do, you do that? How do you pursue restoration? How do you pursue reconciliation? What, what does that even look like? And the thing is, let me just say, before we even launch into the text today, this is, this is challenging. Not because it's difficult to understand. This is one of those passages where at the end of the sermon, you're going to go, well, that was simple. Like, I understood that. Like, even I got that. Like, I can understand it. No problem. Yeah, it's easy to understand, but this is very, very, very difficult to live out. And it's very difficult to do because it's personal. It is so personal to us, which brings us to our first point that you need to go to him personally. You personally have to go to win. Let's jump in. We're going to start in verse number 15. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So Jesus sets the foundation of who we're talking about. He says, if your brother right, or sister, in other words, I'm talking to Christians. So this passage is not meant for nation against nation and how nations should interact with one another. That's not who Jesus is talking to. This is not talking about management versus employees. So if you're like, man, in my workplace, you should see all the tensions that are there. I should Matthew 18 them. No, that's not, that's not who this is talking to. This is talking to Christians, brothers and sisters, and how we interact. But this is so challenging because he says there's a responsibility. If you're the one who's been sinned against, if you're the one who's been wronged, the responsibility is on you to go to that person. You wouldn't know that's so hard because it's not what we do. We cross our arms, we puff up a little bit, wrinkle up our face, and we're waiting. Well, I'm just waiting. They know they done did me wrong. They did. They did me wrong. They better come and apologize before the sun goes down. That's what we do, right? It's on them. They have to come apologize to me because they did wrong to me. So I'm going to sit here with my arms crossed waiting for them to come and apologize. And the closer that person is, the more difficult this is. Because those who are, are close, to, and I'm talking people who are close to you, do you know what? It's almost like Jesus knows your heart before you're even born, right? He knows what your heart's gonna do. Jesus knows. That's why he's saying, if you've been the one hurt, you need to go to that person. Because when your arms are crossed and they come to you and they're like, hey, I'm just wondering, like, you seem like you're on edge. Will you think I'm on edge? What gives you that impression? And they're like, did I do something? Well, you gotta be kidding me right now. Did you do something like you don't know what you did? 
You know, that's what we do, right? We get this edge to us. We're so angry and we're just waiting. And if the person does come to us, we pounce on it. And Jesus is saying, man, that's not the way. You have a responsibility as a person who's been sinned against. You have a responsibility to go. And then there's the command in the verse, go and tell him his fault. Now, this is important. Go and tell him, mean, means now. Not two years from now, which is what we do. And we make excuses, right? We try to Jesus it a little bit, don't we? And here's what I mean by that. We try to go like, I'm just guarding my heart and the Lord knows I don't like conflict, so I'm just gonna put it off. Kick that can right down the road. You know, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just not gonna do it for now because I'm guarding my heart. In Jesus, I'm just guarding my heart. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you need, you need to go. You need to be the initiator. You need to go and tell him his fault. Not years from now, because here's what's gonna happen. If you wait years to have this discussion, the whole time your heart has its arms crossed, doesn't it? Maybe physically you're not, but inside you are. And you're just letting stuff pile up again and again and again. Maybe they're just piling so many blessings on you, but you don't see it as that. Because you're not believing the best of your brother or sister. And so they've got these words and these actions that they keep pouring out that are all like really, really good, but you're not seeing it that way because you haven't engaged them in the conversation in the first place. So you're not believing the best in them, you're believing the worst. You're looking at this from a place of hurt. So instead of going to them like Jesus commands, you're waiting and you're, what are you waiting for? Well, you're just waiting. And so you keep putting it off, putting it off. And then he makes crystal clear, this is huge. This takes so much spiritual maturity, but this is the game changer. This is for those who have sinned against you. And I wanna go slow because this is important. This means it's not if someone sees something differently than you do. People are allowed to have a different opinion than you. It's not if someone disagrees with you on something. It's not even if you get mad at them or they get mad at you. It's none of those things. This is when they have sinned against you. Can I just tell you that's where the struggle so often lies? People will come in the office and they'll chat with me and they'll think like, I've got this Matthew 18 case and I, I need to confront them and I need to this and I need to that. And I'm listening at the end of the day, I'm just going like, they, they haven't sinned against you. Y'all disagree on something. You know, you like the team from Ann Arbor, they like the team south of the borders. Not that big of a deal. Like seriously, like it's just not, it's not that big of a deal. And you're looking at this like this house is divided. Like we're, we just, I don't know if we can reconcile. I don't know if, the, and I'm, but it's not even a sin. Well, anyway, no, but it's, it's just not, but in, in reality, it's not a sin issue. And so oftentimes that's what we do is we take issues that are non-sin issues and we try to blow these things up and let relationships be divided on things that aren't sin issues to begin with. And the whole time Jesus is saying, this is when someone has sinned against us. And he says, this is also important. It needs to be personal. Go just between you and him alone. Meaning it's not circle around and try to chat with 30 people and then act like you didn't just gossip because that's what that is, right? You, but you want to say, well, no, I'm not gossiping. I'm just getting wise count. No, that's gossip. That 100% is gossip. When you're going around trying to bring together all the people who are going to cheer you on, who are just going to tell you a bunch of, of noise of what you're looking for, and you haven't even confronted that person to begin with. You haven't even gone to them, not once. 
Have you gotten, but you've talked to the whole rest of the world about it. That's an issue. Jesus says, go between you. Why? Why would Jesus say for you to go to them alone? Because the whole purpose isn't for you to win. It's not for you to be right. It's not for you to express to them how much you were hurt, how insulted you were by their actions. No, the goal is reconciliation in the relationship. The goal is restoration between the two of you. The goal is for God to be honored in that relationship. Now, I know a lot of you, you're not like super history fans, but there's a really cool story in history. It's John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. And if you're going, I think those names are familiar. Okay, they're founding fathers of the nation. They're kind of important guys. And, um, but they lived a long time ago, like they did. The whole Declaration of Independence thing, you know, they were part of that. And they, they're frenemies, frenemies. Like they were really, really good friends until they were no longer friends, which is what happened. The election of 1800, these guys started to hate each other. And when I say they started to hate each other, they were fighting publicly through the media. They were, I would read to you, (laughs) like it's so inappropriate. I would read to you what they said about each other, but it's not Sunday morning appropriate. Like it's that bad. Like they, they were vicious. They were, even today, all these years later, if I read to you what they were saying openly and publicly in the papers, you would be like, oh, Billy, you're, you're definitely not allowed to say that on Sunday morning. That is not okay to say. And they were saying it openly about each other. It was so bad that Jefferson becomes the third president of the United States, right? And during his inauguration, John Adams gets onto a carriage, rides out of D.C., and for the next decade does not talk to this guy who used to be his friend. Do you, do you have any relationships like that? Once upon a time, this used to be a family member. This used to be a friend. This used to be a, I haven't talked to him in a decade. Why? Because there was this thing, and Pastor, you don't know how bad this thing was. This thing was bad. What they said, what they did was bad, Right? So that's what's going on. Then all of a sudden, these two start to exchange letters. And as they start to exchange letters, they start to soften. And I can't exchange, tell you about the letter exchange because there was some bad stuff in there too. But then it softened. It takes like another 15 years for it to soften. To the point that Adam says this, he wrote this. He says to Jefferson, he says, you and I ought not to die before we've met face to face and explained ourselves to each other. In other words, Hey, uh, Tom, you know what happened? We started fighting in the newspapers, and then we fought over letters, and we went quiet. And, you know, over the past few years, I started to remember the friendship we had. You know what we should have done a long time ago is just sat down face to face. We should have just talked about this. Just so you know, they did sort of restore the relationship. They were pretty competitive to the end. Like, they were competing to see who could live longer. Um, they died on the same day, just so you know. True story. They both died on America's 50th birthday. So they both died on the 4th of July, which is kind of funny. You know, they were both trying to one-up the other one. It's so ridiculous. Anyway, guys are so weird sometimes, aren't we? Like, we're so weird. <laughs> so weird. So Jesus here is telling us how we should go about this. And I think in telling us how we should go about this, he tells us how we ought not to go about this too. Here's how you ought not to go about it. When you have a conflict with someone, you don't block them from your life forever without ever talking to them. That's not the way. You don't gossip about them. 
You don't, and if you're going to restore the relationship, it's not via Facebook Messenger. That's not the way. Or you don't go on Instagram and send them a little message or send them a text. Or if possible, sit down face to face. Have that conversation. But it's almost like Jesus knows our hearts, right? It's almost like Jesus knows how we're wired and that we're sinful. And so sometimes what will happen is some people will come and they'll be like, hey, you, you did sin. You sinned against me. Here's what you did. You know what sometimes we do? We get prideful. And we just say, I don't want to hear that noise. I don't, who are you? You think you're going to come and confront me? You go, you go Matthew 18, me seriously right now? Like, you're not perfect. Who are you to judge me? That's what we do sometimes. We, golly, did y'all see that? Okay, we got new cameras. So tell me you guys got that. Yep, I got a thumbs up. Huge. It was like this big, wasn't it? Yep, it's still flying around. Anyway. So uh, if any of you are in the bug business, I'd love to talk to you after the service. Because out of control. Man, my hands are sweating now. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. Oh, sometimes. <laughs> no, though, seriously, sometimes what we do is we get so puffed up and we get so prideful and so that person comes or you've confronted that person on sin or they've confronted you on sin. And it's almost like, I'm gonna put my fingers in my ears. I don't wanna hear what you have to say to me. And you reject it. And so Jesus says, when that happens, if that happens, when that happens, you need to do this in community. Don't do this alone anymore. Don't just try to keep badgering them. Don't keep going after them. You need to go to win communally. Look at verse 16. It says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So Jesus says, if that doesn't work, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, because this is not a new thought. The Hebrew people had been taught this for generations, they knew if something happens, if there's a breakdown in the relationship, you confronted the person in the sin and they don't listen, take one or two with you. You just take one or two, not a whole army of people, not a posse of people, not a hanging party. That's not what you're, one to two. One to two other Christians. You're taking one or two brothers or sisters in Christ with you to confront that person. Because now he's saying there's two or three witnesses why would you do that? Well, I love how one theologian said it. He said, well, here's what happens. It's like if you have brother A and brother B, and brother B has an issue with brother A and the sin of brother A. These witnesses, these one or two other witnesses, they're able to come in and listen because maybe the issue's with brother B. Maybe even though he's saying brother A has done this, he's the issue all along. And they're able to say like, hey, actually, here's where the problem rests. Because the goal isn't to prove rightness or wrongness. The goal is restoration and reconciliation of the relationship. And they're going to be able to call that out. Or it's kind of like you've seen the interventions, right? An intervention really isn't about when someone comes in and they have all these addictions and all these struggles. It's not about saying, you've really hurt me. Let me make it about me. It's all about me. No, it's saying your life is going to a place of wreckage. You are causing so much destruction. We want you to turn from the life you've been living. That's the goal. The hope and the restoration is to help that brother or sister see what they're doing. And so with two or three witnesses now, the hope would be that brother A would go, okay, at first I thought there was just a conflict with that individual, but there is something there. The hope is that their ears would be open, that there would be not only the restoration with their brother or sister, but restoration with the Lord. 
And then the third reason is if this has to continue to escalate. If this goes further than the witnesses for this next step, you're going to need more witnesses. Again, we can't ever forget, though, the point isn't to try to say, I caught you. You're busted to shame you, to guilt you, to win against you. It's restoration of the relationship, but sometimes... Sometimes that still doesn't work. And Jesus says, you know, if you're going to go to the person individually and then you're going to go to the person with one or two witnesses, there are going to be times that they still won't listen. And so when they still won't listen, you're going to have to do this congregationally. You're going to have to bring the church into the conversation because we're not talking about someone you have a conflict with at work. We're not talking about your neighbor and you're debating where the fence should go. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So you've approached with one, then you've approached with one or two more, and then next he says, bring in the church. Can I just um, admit this to you, that churches for years have blown it in this area? We, we've blown it. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We've blown it because sometimes we almost try to use the individual who's been sinning, we almost try to use them as an example. Right? It's like when the Pharisees take the woman who's been caught and they throw her at the feet of Jesus publicly in front of everybody to discuss this. What's the goal here? What's to be right? It's to shame the woman. It's to scare everybody else. Is the goal ever restoration or reconciliation? No, that's not the goal. And sometimes as churches, we've done that, haven't we? When I say we, I mean you and me. We have done that, people. We have. There's been times that we want to make an example. You ever done that with your kids? Come on, right? Oh, you did something? Well, I'm going to make it to where you don't want to do this again, little brother, sister. You better watch. You don't want this, Right? So use this as an example so you don't repeat that behavior. We've done that in the church. And it becomes a shame culture. Or B, there's a cover-up. Well, we just want to protect everyone involved. And so there's these weird lies that happen. As Christians, like we, we do these weird cover-ups where we don't want anyone to know because we don't want anyone to think we're not perfect. And it just gets weird, doesn't it? It gets so weird the way that we act about all of this when Jesus so clearly lays it out. He's like, man, sometimes you're going to go to a person and you're going to say, you sinned, and they're not going to want to hear it. And you're going to take one or two, and then they're going to say, listen, you sinned, and they're not going to want to hear it. So then you're going to go with some elders from the church, and we're going to talk about that portion in just a moment. But sometimes that person is still going to say, I don't want to hear it. And Jesus says, at that point, you're going to treat them like a, like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, you know, as Christians, we're supposed to love everybody, right? Love the Lord our God, love our neighbors ourselves. 
Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Everybody's my neighbor. Doesn't matter their faith background. Doesn't matter socioeconomics. Doesn't matter what team they cheer for. Like, none of that matters. Like, that's all just frivolous stuff. Like, love your neighbor. Love everybody. That's our job as Christians. That's true. But when you read throughout the New Testament, you and I have a calling together as brothers and sisters that's different. The way you treat the CEO of organization XYZ is one thing. How we interact as brothers and sisters, what we expect from one another is different. And what Jesus just said was, that person will be removed from your fellowship. That's why it is so important to carefully select your elders. The elders of the church, it's a big deal. So I just want you to know, I know I've told you before, uh, we don't talk about it a lot though, but when it comes to the selection of elders at Woodside, it's, it's a lengthy process. It's no less than a one-year process of this individual walking, making sure that they're aligned with the doctrine that we teach, with the understanding of what we do as elders, of the calling of an elder, but then begins the real scrutiny phase. I mean, so it's a year-long process to even enter into the conversation, and then there's this longer conversation where you go through this scrutiny, where as a, as a church, it happens, and then you're going to have existing elders, people who are currently elders, are going to come into your home during an evening and actually spend the whole evening in your home. Why? Because we don't just want to know who you are on Sunday morning. We want to know who you are behind closed doors. That's important. So there's interaction with you and with your family behind closed doors. Then comes the public scrutiny. After all that's done, we literally tape the names of any individuals who would be considered new elders to the doors of every single Woodside campus. So 14 churches have the and we don't just like sneakily put the names up on doors that you're not going to. It's like any door that you can go in or out of, the names are taped to those doors. That way, if there was ever a question, like you read the name of someone who goes to a different campus and you're like, oh my goodness, like I know this person. I was just dealing with them like two months ago, and there was some stuff that I, they just should know. Hey, you don't, on a Sunday morning, come up on stage and shout it out to the church, but you let us as elders know so that those conversations can continue to take place. But there is a public scrutiny that happens. And here's why we do that. Because the weight of what happens as elders is real. I want you to think about you and another individual having an issue where there is sin that's been done against you and they didn't listen. So you go with one or two others and they didn't listen. Now it has to be brought to your elders. That means behind closed doors, we're gonna have a conversation and these are weighty conversations. And the elders have to figure out a few things. We have to figure out, is this a sin issue or is this a y'all aren't getting along issue? Sometimes it is. You're not getting along. People don't like when we say that very much. When we're like, yeah, this is, I mean, here's some recommendations, but this isn't an issue that we need to press anymore. Sometimes it's hard for people to hear. What's just as hard for people to hear is this is a sin issue. And so here's what a plan of restoration would look like, but I want you to hear that. Here's what a plan of restoration would look like because our hope and our goal is to see reconciliation between you and the other. We want to see your relationship with the Lord thriving and your relationship with others to be thriving. That's our hope. 
And I hope what you know is what we're doing is we're only following the example that Jesus Christ has already laid out for us. You see, next Sunday, next Sunday following the third service, it's going to be so fun because this whole place is going to be transformed, isn't it? We're going to decorate for Christmas. We're going to put some trees up, some lights up. I mean, it is going to be Christmas-fied like within a few hours. It's going to be great. And the Christmas season, when you think about what is the Christmas season, the Christmas season is to say, you and I have sinned against Almighty God. Let me go slow here. We have sinned against God. So how did God respond? God said, I'm going to go to you. Isn't that what Christmas is? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ came here to be with us. Why did he come here to be with us? To reconcile us to him. That's why he came in the first place. So what Jesus is saying we're supposed to do with one another is the example that he personally lived out. He came to us because we sinned against him. We sinned against him. He came to us. The difference is Jesus lived the perfect and sinless life. There was no sin in Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He paid the ultimate price on the cross. He was crucified on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. After he was crucified on the cross on the third day, he rose from the dead. He walked out of the tomb, conquering sin and death. The Bible says this. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you're going to be saved, that you're going to be rescued, that you're going to have a reconciled relationship with the Lord. Because so oftentimes what we do is we try to do it on our own, don't we? We know that there's sin against the Lord, and so what do we do? Well, I'll try harder not to do it next time. There's not reconciliation there. Well, I'll just try to be better and act like that never happened. But it did happen. We got to clean that up. There's got to be a turning from that. And so my hope is that today, if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, that today is your day. Today is the day that you surrender everything. Can we... Do something, though. Will you just bow your heads with me for a second? Because as I was talking about when someone sins against you and going to them, some of you know what that feels like because you've had people who have sinned against you. And you've never gone to them, have you? Maybe you haven't gone to them because you're scared of conflict. You're scared of tension. You, you don't like the weirdness that happens between you and others. And I'm talking specifically about another Christian specifically about that person who's a brother or sister in Christ. And it's not that you disagree with them. It's not that you don't see eye to eye, but they have sinned against you. And you haven't said a word about it. The instructions are clear from Matthew 18. It's your responsibility to go to them and to have that hard conversation. And so maybe for you, it's been years and you've just been allowing this thing to make a void between you and that person. Or maybe it hasn't been years. Maybe it's been hours, a few days. But if that's you, I just want to pray a prayer of encouragement and a prayer for boldness over you. But we do this, we just, if that's you, if you know, like I'm supposed to go to someone and I just haven't, I've been putting it off. Will you raise your hand right where you are? No one's looking. I just want to pray over you. Lord, I pray for my 
brothers and sisters with hands raised, knowing that there is a place of tension between them and another. You've called us to be holy as you are holy, set apart, different. So Lord, I pray for boldness for these men and these women. I pray for a courage. I pray for a peace. Lord, oftentimes these conversations aren't conversations that make us feel very peaceful inside. But this is bigger than our feelings. This is a whole different life that you've called us to. Lord, I do pray for reconciliation in those relationships where there's brokenness. I pray for restoration and peace where the hurt is there. Lord, we pray that you are glorified. And now still with heads bowed, I mentioned how some of you, maybe you've never placed your faith in Christ. As Jesus came, he did it so that you could be reconciled to the Lord. And maybe you've never taken that step of faith. I just want to give you a chance to pray and in your heart say, God, I believe. Believe that you love me, that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he lived again to restore the relationship that we have. I am placing my faith and my trust in that truth. Not my ability to be good enough or to try harder, but in the work that Jesus did on the cross. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.